Hey everybody, and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore, and I'm joined uh, by Dr. Scott Nelson. What's up, man? Welcome back, sir. Hey, man. Thanks. Appreciate it. Missed you last week. Yeah, I, I missed being here. Well, I'm sure you did. You had to listen to it on your drive home, and you it was very lonely. Uh, it was it was not lonely, but uh, there was it's <laughs> the thing is I I listened to the show and like as I was as I was listening, I mean I I even texted you a, a, a couple things not while I was driving, um, but like points of like oh I want I want to say this oh I want to say that just <laughs> we can just re- we can just replay last week's episode and you can just comment along the way. We'll do, like, okay, stop. Yeah, we'll do, we'll, do, we'll do an okay stop. That's all last week's episode and me just saying I've got a bone to pick with you people. <laughs> what about this? What about that? All right, good point, Scott. Um, you will notice, and for those who are watching this from our uh, our video podcast, I have my old um, my uh, iPad soundboard set up here so that I am ready. But there wasn't a joke just then. Well, I had to practice. <laughs> I've been out of practice. You, you do have to practice. That's true. Slaughtering me for being out of practice. But now I've got it queued up and ready to go just in case. How you been, man? Uh, it's been good. It's been, uh, it's been a long week. It's been busy. I'm tired. I'm yeah. looking forward to this weekend. Um, just as a preview for listeners. Um, this is this is how much we love you guys. By the time you listen to this, this will all be done. But um, we were recording this on Friday uh, the 5th. Um, tomorrow morning on the sixth, early, we're going to um, interview Lieutenant Governor Matt Pinnell in, in uh, Guthrie, Missy's Donuts. In Missy's Donuts. I'm yeah. excited about that. I am, but it's. I mean, we're this is two forty in the afternoon. This is happening in like fifteen hours, y'all. So like. we got to we got to prepare and <laughs> and get up there. So uh, we're going to be joined by Stephen Tyler from uh, the Wafty Show and from the Tower Theater. He's going to come with us, both as our audio guru and as a uh, third co-host. Um, and I don't know who else. I don't know who all Pinnell's coming uh, or bringing with him. I know he's got to be in more for a uh, speech at like nine fifteen. So he's he's a busy guy. We or, are very grateful that he is uh, giving us giving us some of his time on Saturday morning. We will be I will be leaving my house at the time that I usually get up in the morning. Yeah. And so uh, Who's dri- am I driving or are you driving? I'm driving. You're driving. I'll get Stephen because he's just around the corner. Okay. And then I'll get you. Me. Yeah. yeah all right. All our listeners really care about that. The logistics <laughs> that have already happened in the past. So. Um, also, just as a reminder, and I'll say this at the bottom of the episode as well, but don't forget that we have our A Night to Remember uh, Adult Prom Fundraiser on May 4th at 21C Museum Hotel uh, here in Oklahoma City. That's going to be super fun. Um, we've got three wonderful couples that are competing, quote, uh, air quotes, competing for, I guess they really are competing, um, for your votes to be the prom royalty, um, Aaron Harrell and Darisha Bailey. Um, Aaron is the CEO of the Black Chamber of Commerce here in Oklahoma City, and his uh, lovely other half, Darisha. Uh, Erica and Chris Lucas, they run a Stitch Crew and the Thunder Launchpad, and they're very focused on the entrepreneurial community. Uh, and then Lainey James and Dale Slaughter. Um, Lainey works in PR marketing stuff, and Dale works uh, in education-related things. Um, and they... <laughs> Their bio was my favorite so far. That's the first sentence is like, we're a stereotypical Subaru driving lesbian couple. <laughs> <And so laughs> That's fantastic. Like, Laney never pulls any punches. So um, you can vote for them online. Uh, let's fix this. Okay.org slash prom has all the information there. You can uh, click the link for tickets. Don't forget to pre-order your um, boutonniere or corsage as well. Those are being provided by the Curbside Chronicle. Um, and, then, uh, and then you can cast votes with your wallet. This is actually legal. This is not a official election by the election board. This is just us. Um, but $1 equals one vote. You can do that online. You'll also be able to do that the night of. We'll have them. They'll have sashes and like buckets or something. In. Yeah, it's it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a great time. I, I really hope we see a ton of people there. Um, the venue is phenomenal. It's going to be way more fun than your high school prom. Um, well, it'll, it'll be legal booze. That's helpful. Be, yeah, legal booze. It is the, 21 and, and up for that. Yeah. The legal booze and the booze will be, uh, I would say, I mean, I don't know what your situation was, Andy, but it'll be uh, undoubtedly higher quality <laughs> than, not, the, yes. than, than the than the high school prom booze. Um, I think what we're going to do is everyone's ticket will get you two drink tickets, um, and so just by coming, everyone gets two drink tickets. We'll have some, we'll have some uh, little you know food things to nibble on, some dessert as well. But we do encourage you to have the full prom experience and maybe go have a nice dinner beforehand. What or, is uh, what what is the cost of a ticket? Uh, tickets right now are a hundred dollars each. Hundred dollars. So this, this this is a fundraiser. So 
if you love Let's Fix This, if you love listening to the podcast, if you love our capital days, uh, and you want to see more of that kind of thing, you want to see more content on the website, um, you want to see maybe more podcasts, you want to see more capital days, those are all things that we love to do, but they also all take time. They take time, they take resources, mm-hmm. and the more resources we have, the more we can put towards um, you know delivering uh, the kind of information that you need to be as civically active as we all know that you want to be. So please... You and your friends help us out and buy some tickets. Well, and yeah, it's gonna be fun. And if we're being totally honest, I told the board this year. You know this as the pres- or the vice president of the board. Um, my goal is to raise fifty thousand dollars this year, which is way more than we've ever had in the past. Um, and part of the goal is that we would love to actually have an employee or two that could do. Let's fix this full time. So right now, as our listeners likely know, this has been a labor of love and. Um, conviction i think for for me and for you and others um and we would love to be able to like make this a full-time job think about how much we've done scott in the last three it was three years ago this month that yeah. we started this i remember you and your wife came to the one of our first like planning uh, sessions water's and, edge right? yeah, yeah. Um, just like we don't know what we're doing but let's all get together and figure it out and uh and i think we've come a long way in those three years and that's been as a secondary or tertiary kind of activity for me um, being able to devote more time to this would be huge. We could legitimately fix things. That's right. That's right. So that's 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 the pitch. So if that sounds good to you, please come uh, come to prom with us. That's right. Um, All right. Well, let's get into the news. Oh, I hit the wrong button. <laughs> I knew it was too good to be true. Uh, so today's episode, uh, as we just said, we're going to have Lieutenant Governor Pinnell on. And so we're gonna have we're gonna double up the next couple of weeks on episodes because we've got some really great guests, um, Penel being one of them. Uh, so today we're gonna just try to catch up on what's been going on in, in politics in uh, the state this last week or so, because um, it feels like it's been a busy week, but ha- not in the legislature. Yeah, I mean, and and I want to say like it has been busy at the Capitol because I mean there's been a lot of there's been a lot of committee work done. So you guys remember a few weeks ago we had deadline week, right? Where bills had to be heard on the floor in their chamber of origin. So house bills in the house, Senate bills in the Senate. Um, we've got another deadline coming up next Thursday. So mm-hmm. next Thursday is committee deadline, right? Uh, only for the Senate though, I think. I thought it was for think, both. Well, the house for, I think they've got an extra week like for Well, so J- JCAB does. Yes. Yeah. So JCAB, the deadline for JCAB is the following week. And that's the Joint Committee on Appropriations and Budget. But non-JCAB bills have to pass out of committee by next Thursday. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's been there's been some work. The The number of bills continue to be whittled down. Um, there's some some still some stuff making its way making its way through the process though. Well, and I will say the other thing, just uh, on the note about what's going on with the legislature, is that what I have heard this week is that while while this has been a relatively quiet legislative session, uh, unusually so, um, we've gotten down to now where I guess the uh, the House and Senate aren't entirely getting along. There are some fireworks. There's. Some- there have there we Maybe have been we, we haven't had many so far, but there's starting no. to be. Well, some. I think it's because there's so many new you know legislators up there, and everyone wants to be earnest and do a good job. And and it's there's not uh, there's plenty of money this year. No one's having to be cut, and so I think it's been a little easier that way. And so us folks are just learning the ropes, and they don't want to ruffle too many feathers. Um, they're also finding out how busy that they are during session. However, so where we're at now is. As, as you said, Scott, that all of the Senate bills are over in the House and all the House bills are over in the Senate. And that means that they're like both chambers are mad at the other chamber for giving them this crap, right? So, like, I think, you know, like the Senate would pass stuff. They're like, man, this is a terrible bill. We'll turn up and pass it and make the House deal with it. So they send it right. over. There, and now the House is like, what the hell, man? Right. I don't want to. Because if we say no, then we're the bad guys. If we say yes, we're the bad guys. Right. Well, so like one issue, you know, and, I th- and you and I talked about this some, and you, you've kind of had your you've had your ear to the ground, as it were. But you said there's been some, like, there's been some deal, like the earned income tax credit, right? So the EITC, this is something mm-hmm. that was repealed a few years ago in the midst of our budget woes. This is a tax credit that... Um, how would you describe? How would you explain it? What's the what's the layman's uh, interpretation of the EITC? It helps the working poor. That's, you, you have to work and you have to be poor in order to qualify. That's I that yeah couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> um, so that was that's a tax credit that was repealed. There is uh, not repealed. It was made unrefundable. Uh, yes, there you go. That's so it right. limited. So like. 
let's say you would qualify for $500 of, of tax credit, but that 200 of that would be your tax refund. Right. It would limit it to just 300. So you, that's correct. Not repealed, like limit, limit the refundability. It, yes. made it, it wasn't unhelpful. Um, it still would help you, but it was not as helpful. Right. Well, there's been, I think, certainly this year, there is broad, even broad bipartisan agreement that it would be good policy to restore the refundability of the earned income tax credit, right? Like, mm-hmm. we do that. That's accurate. Yeah. Like, I mean, people on both sides are like, oh, that sounds great. Because here's the deal is that, like, I'm cutting you off on purpose. Um, the So, the, the total price tag is, like, mm, $25 million, I right. think, um, which is a lot of money but not a lot in the grand scheme of right, of the state billions budget. of dollars yeah <laughs> it's a tiny fraction and and all the money stays in Oklahoma so basically if you are someone who is a i mean legitimately like a teacher or a social worker or um or something else but doesn't make a whole lot of money and would qualify for this um and I forget the the actual financial thresholds so apologies for that but let's say you qualify and you get i don't know 200 bucks out of it right well, that $200 is spent in your community. I mean, right. you know, and people will say, well, we don't want them to, you know, buy cigarettes and alcohol with it. I'm like, well, first of all, what the hell do you care? It's not your money. Right. Like, they can spend it whatever they want. And they're spending it here. At the stores there. And so the benefit ends up getting like almost a two to one. And so it may cost the state, we would be an average of $25 million a year. But that, but the benefit would come back to the tune of like $32 million. Right. And this so is, you're, you're describing the economic multiplier effect. Indeed, I am. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Bing. Um, and so, uh, so it's a good deal. And so, when when legislators like the new ones have found out about it, they're like, oh, "That's a hell of a deal." It's like, well, why don't you run the bill? Oh, I, but, can't, I can't do that, <laughs> right? Like, so that's and that's and that's kind of where we're at. Is there are these issues like like EITC to a certain degree, Medicaid expansion? Like, there's some of these issues that like everybody wants to do, but nobody wants to like be the person who does it. Right. Well, because yeah, what what. I think right now the unicorns that everyone is chasing, is that a thing? Chasing unicorns? Don't sure. go chasing unicorns. That's not the song. <laughs> anyway, is uh, is moderate Republicans who are open to this, who wouldn't take a huge hit from their constituency. So you, And there's there's a number of them up there. Some of them are freshmen, so they don't have I any I thought they were all moderate. Right? Isn't that the deal now? Freedom, no, no, I mean, freedom, can, freedom Caucus is gone. Well, <laughs> it's all relative in that case. Um, that's there are shades of <laughs> shades of red there, I suppose. Um, just like there's shades of blue on the other uh, side. Hundred percent. They um, and I mean, another story this week was that uh, uh, Senator Silk was kind of complaining to the media, I guess, that leadership wouldn't hear his bills. And I've heard the same thing about Nathan yeah. Dom as well. That that leadership has basically said, "You are too far out there. We're not." gonna run your bills anymore well and it's not even so much the leadership said that and now i don't know about senator dom but with uh with senator silk it's not even so much that said you're too far out there it's that they are specifically and they're on record i think saying this they are specifically upset at because senate bill he ran senate bill 13 which was a bill that would outlaw abortion that would classify abortion as murder mm-hmm. and subject doctors who provide or even recommend abortions to um, the penalty of like, m- like uh, uh, under the penalty of law, they treat them as uh, murderers. Um, and again, whether you think that's good policy or bad policy or like right or wrong, something that Oklahoma should or shouldn't do, it was something that leadership said like we we're not going to do this because it's you know it would be declared unconstitutional and there's a, a whole host of reasons that didn't go forward. Um, and Senator Silk's response to that was to make some fairly disparaging. <clears throat> some disparaging comments about some of his fellow Republicans um, in the media. There was like, there was, it became kind of a very public battle instead of a behind the scenes battle. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be more, as much as anything, what um, leadership objected to was right. like, you know, it's like, it's not even so much what the bill was. It's that when we said no, and for these reasons, you tried to like take it like, trash us publicly mm-hmm. um, and trash your other members of your party publicly. And we're not going to, we're not going to tolerate that. We're not going to stand for that. <clears throat> you got to fall in line here. Yeah. So um, it is funny. It's, I mean, I totally get it. And if it was me, I try to put myself in, in their shoes, whomever the, uh, the legislator might be. Uh, and it's also why I don't run for office, but um, to, be, to be like, if you had an idea that you felt was a legitimately great idea, and this is a bill that, you are really passionate about admittedly scott your bills will be very different than senator silks sure uh, but <laughs> um if you really care about that 
you would want to do everything you could to get that bill heard and passed, right? Sure. And perhaps you have an obligation to your constituents to do that. Whether or not you agree with that is, uh, or agree with what the bill content is is a, is a different matter. But I think I certainly uh, applaud folks for trying. However, I think when it seems like all the ships are, are going one direction and you are going the other direction, when when all the ships on both sides of the aisle are going right. one direction and you're going the other way, maybe maybe you're the odd man out. Maybe <clears throat> maybe you're the odd man out. And again, it's still fine to try and change people's minds, right? If you really believe that you're on the right, it's fine to try and change people's minds. But I think it's the way that you try to change people's minds, right? You can You can try to shame people you can try to intimidate people right so you can make people feel guilty and try to change their mind you can make them feel afraid and try to change their mind or you can try to legitimately persuade them that your cause of action is correct right Right. and and i i i'm not in the leadership meetings uh, at the capitol but i suspect that uh, methods one and two are not really well received um, whereas method three, maybe you're successful, maybe you're not, but it probably doesn't get you in trouble. True. And perhaps you should try method four, which is bake them cookies. I mean, yes. <laughs> you you catch more flies with honey. That's right. That's right. right. That's, right. <laughs> That's not the deal. That but, reminds me, my wife texted me that I need to go buy Pie Junkie. They have uh, whoopie pies today, like like oatmeal cream pies. That's not whoopie pies. Oatmeal cream pies. God, that's For those amazing. of you at home who couldn't see that, Scott, just his eyeballs got very big. Yeah, I die. I've enjoyed an oatmeal cream pie in my, in my day. I, I aged by them by the box. That's right. That is really so. That's all that to say. That was a that was a bit of a, a meandering um, a meandering look at our first news piece of the day. But that that piece there was a piece that talked about this, and that was on was that on News OK? Probably they do a lot of coverage. Yeah, I will say uh, uh, kudos for the word meandering. Oh, thank you. When I was in high school, I attended a Leander High School just north of Austin, Texas. And our school song was "Let's Meander, Oh Leander." That's, in, all, that's in, all I know from it. Interesting. Not exactly a fight song. <laughs> it was in the uh, that piece was in the Tulsa World actually. I'm um, glad you googled that while I <laughs> it was not, gave you a tidbit. Of I, was, I was like, I was like, I, I was like, I think it was, it was okay, but that doesn't sound right. So that was a piece in the in the Tulsa World. Um, our next our next piece of news is also from the Tulsa World. They mm. get uh, they're pulling double duty this week. So this is a piece that is. Uh, I think uh, important, you know, you and I both had it at the top of our list for different reasons, I think. Um, so this is uh, the title of the piece is that bill would make bill would make pollution information secret for companies that self audit. This is SB 1003, the uh, environmental, the Oklahoma Environmental Health and Safety Audit Privilege Act. This is one of those bills that to read the title and then read the content Well, I I feel like the title is a bit misleading. This is a bill that basically creates a privileged status for reports that are created by entities, companies, that self-audit or hire contractors to conduct environmental compliance audits of their facilities, right? So, like, let's say I have a company and we make... Chicken shit. (laughs) (laughs) That's the that's that's the quintessential example. That's a great example, and and there's ways that we can dispose of the feces that are a byproduct (laughs) of our of our of our chicken enterprise, and there are ways that are environmentally friendly that don't cause pollution that aren't detrimental, and there are ways that are like say dumping it in a river. So. Um, Just for, this, as an example, <laughs> perhaps <laughs> dumping it in the Illinois River, right? So, so that what this bill, what, what this bill would do, would say that if I, if my chicken company, if we recognize that there is a problem with dumping the chicken shit in the river, and we either perform a self audit of our practices or hire an outside contractor to audit those practices, <laughs> and then we report the fact that we are doing that to the Oklahoma Department of Environmental Quality, yeah, I think, yeah, I think. Um, then then those records would become sealed and not be available uh, for uh, court proceedings or for an Oklahoma open records request. And anyone who let those records out of the open could be subject to penalties. Right. Um, so another way to think about that is that companies can identify problems, investigate the problems, tell people that they're investigating the problems, and then the record of what the problem was and what they did about it becomes secret and not available for public review. Nicely, it's working done. already. And yeah, you you got you have you have concerns about this. I think we should all have concerns about this. But oh, I agree, but I was trying to I was trying to throw you. A, I was trying to was trying here's to, a softball pitch. <laughs> so, Andy, as the director of Freedom of Information Oklahoma, how do you feel about this bill? I think it sucks, man. 
Um, so this popped up, and I got several phone calls uh, from uh, people in Ulaga and, and other places around the state that, like, yeah, literally um, chicken producers. Is that the right word? Chicken? I would say farmers, but... The the big is, chicken, like kind of big agribusiness. Yeah, yeah. Chicken These are enormous, hundreds of thousands, millions of chickens in a giant metal building. Um, produce a lot of chicken poop, and that poop has to go somewhere. They could sell it as fertilizer. They could do good things, but sometimes they wash it off into the river, and maybe they know. And not just them. This could be oil producers. There's any, any business, right, that is um, doing their business, and their business might be polluting or causing other environmental harm to the good people of Oklahoma, let's say that they know they're doing this. And they're like, oh, we should really find out how bad it is. So they check it out like, oh, snap, it's really bad. Okay, well, we should fix this. Um, I, I applaud them for trying to fix it. And the fact that they want to be privileged and have all of that behind a curtain that the public can't know um, would mean, and the fact that there are penalties attached to it, is a, is a huge blow to transparency. It would create a protected class from the Open Records Act, which is not okay. The whole spirit of the Open Records Act is that this is public information, right? And so um, I get that they're saying, like, well, we're private companies. If we do our own audit, then we should that information should be private. Um, but the, my point of disagreement and concern comes from the fact that they would be, um, that it involves harming the public, right? It's not... It's not like they are messing up the production the production of widgets there. It's like they they could feasibly be poisoning our water, our soil, um, our you know air, and that and that th- we wouldn't not only would we not be able to know because they'd be hidden, but that they would actively go the extra step to punish anyone who was a whistleblower. And that's just why don't people want to do the right thing? Yeah, so that's my question. You know, to to I'm not even going to say like play devil's advocate here because I agree with you, but there is um, uh, the the argument for this, and this is from Ken Wagner, who is the uh, Oklahoma Secretary of the uh, Environment and uh, Secretary of Energy and Environment, Ken Wagner. So he says that the reason that you the reason for this is really two things. So one. Um, he says that this actually, the argument is that this will make addressing problems much more efficient, right? So like, let's say that there's, let's say there is a problem. Let's say that, you know, some company is dumping something. We're not, we don't want to pick on the chicken producers, or at least not only the chicken producers. Mm-hmm. Um, some company there, they've got a, a byproduct of their manufacturing process that is harmful to the environment. And instead of cleaning it up responsibly, they're dumping it in the river. Mm-hmm. Okay. So like, let's say that that's going on. Secretary Wagner's point and the author of the bill, their point is that, okay, that A, that might take months to like for the EPA or the relevant authority to figure out that it's happening. And two, once they figure it out, it may take them months or even years to address the problem, right? See like Superfund sites, right? I think people would t- would put those as an, an example, right? Right. Um, but That's a great example. The other, the other thing that he says too, though, is right, is like, um, so, so, so like if a company under this act, if a company found a problem in self-audit, they would be able to address it much faster than like having a state or federal agency come in and try and do it for them. But he also says the reason that you have to keep it secret is because if you want companies to do this, you have to give them some incentive. You have to give them the protection that their audit documents will receive legal privilege and third parties can't use those documents like to sue them. I guess my response to that would be, no, you don't have to give them an incentive. You can just say that it's the law and they have to. Right. Right. No, the incentive <laughs> is doing the right thing. Right. But even if they're not gonna even if they're not gonna respond to an incentive, you can just say companies are required to self audit and they're required required to address these problems because that is the law and that is what you are required to do. Right. You right. don't have to give them an incentive to do it, right? Right. Um it, it, this is like <clears throat> admittedly when I was growing up, I was always jealous of my friends who like got a you know, five dollars for a B and ten bucks for an A on the report card. I didn't get anything. Uh, my mom was like, "No, you got good grades." Like that's or people who are like, um, want extra money at work for doing certain things. I'm like that's you're doing your job. You get paid for your job. If right. you went above and beyond, and they're they're trying to redefine it and be like, "Well, that's not really what we're what we're supposed to do." But in in the other thing is he he also he uses the example of. He Secretary Wagner uses the example of healthcare as like here's 
you know, here's a setting where this is already done like successfully. And he uses the example of what's called an M&M. So this is like, well, he doesn't use those words, but it's what he's talking about peer, the peer review process, but yeah. M&M stands for morbidity and mortality conference. And so, um, what is not, what, what is commonly done at, you know, medical institutions is if there's a, if there's a case or, you know, there's a patient who had a bad outcome, right. Um, there will be oftentimes conferences that involve the doctors, the specialties, the teams that were involved in taking care of that patient to kind of review the case and see like what happened. Like, was there a system failure that caused this, this to happen? Um, and the proceedings of those, um, conferences are confidential and I believe they're not admissible in court. Mm-hmm. And so secretary Wagner, I, th- I'm not a lawyer, but I think that that is the case. Um, and and Secretary Wagner is saying, see, it should be, it should be just like this. But the I think one thing I would say is the difference is, like maybe the proceedings of the morbidity and mortality co- mortality conference aren't available for court, but all the records and everything that happened that they're Up discussing, that. right? Those are right, <laughs> right? Well, like, and, and and some would say that those MMMs, M and Ms, should be public as well there are yeah there are people who make that argument right like um yeah there's there are definitely people make who make that argument how do you feel as a doctor i mean i have mixed feelings honestly like i see i see why folks would say that those should be you know those should be Mm -hmm. public i think one strong argument for a reason not to is because healthcare health information is protected and it's private right mm-hmm. so like maybe the person that you know maybe that maybe the patient who is this whose case is the subject of the morbidity mortality maybe they survived and they're fine maybe they died maybe they survived but now they're incapacitated in some way right but in any of those cases any in any case you know like you start talking about what happened in enough detail, even if you re- redact things like name and age and gender, etc. Like it doesn't take long for people to figure out who you're talking about, right? right? In theory. So and and so I think that that's one argument for it. But I think the other thing is, and then you know there are certainly there are people who like this. This this gets into a little bit of a you know like a high horse, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, but I think. Um, there are professions, lawyers, physicians, mental health professionals, like there's, there is a history of like, you are supposed to like, you're that peer group. You're supposed to hold yourselves to that, like higher standard, higher standard of accountability. That doesn't always work. Right. But that's an expectation. Like for medical students, that's like, that's an expect, that's an expectation that's drilled into you from like, the first day that you mm-hmm. like start school, even before you start school, right? Now that doesn't mean that it always works, and maybe that's not a justification to keep MM proceedings secret. But I think that's that's the thought is that you are trying to encourage individual people to say to their peers, "Can you help me learn from what happened here?" Right? Does right. that make sense? Yeah. Which I think is a little bit different from like holding a publicly traded company mm-hmm. accountable for like destroying natural resources for the state of Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think? What do you, th- what do you think? I, I agree. I also think that we're about halfway done with our episode. We need to move on to other topics. No, that, n- <laughs> that never happens to us. If, if we left our own devices, we would just have a live streaming show that would last four days every week. Also known as our Twitter thread or our, uh, our text our thread. Tech thread. Yes, <laughs> we do have that actually. Yeah, Slack and text and everything else. Right. Uh, anyway, so that's the second bill. Will you go on to our third? Our third article is from Oklahoma Watch. Oh, yeah. Is that our third article? It's the second one on our list here. Yeah, because we talked about uh, Senator Silk first. Oh, yeah. Uh, so the Oklahoma, it's Oklahoma watch and the title is Oklahoma prepares to purge thousands of inactive voters. Um, this is important. I think we may have shared this on Twitter that, and we've talked about it before too, right? That every, in odd numbered years, is it every odd numbered year? Is it just Uh, after the midterms? I think it's odd numbered years when there's not a general election, right? Yes. So the Oklahoma election board calls the roles rather so they go through and they try to take off anyone who they believe to be an inactive voter uh, and they define that a few different ways like if you haven't voted basically if you haven't voted in a long time and they send you a letter and they get it back oh didn't we talk to uh uh what's his name over there a couple of years ago on election day 
Uh, yes. Uh, he's the public relations officer yeah. or PIO. Yeah. Um. Man. Anyway, he and he explained this. I feel this. like a douche because I don't remember his name. Well, I'll put you on the spot. Anyway, basically, if you haven't voted in the last two general elections, so it's at least eight years, and I think they mail you a letter, and if you don't respond to that, then they will remove you from the rolls. If they did so uh, inappropriately, you can still re-enroll. Um, to just a few minutes ago, before we recorded this, there was the news about the woman who did all the hateful Nazi graffiti. I guess she had been removed from the rolls at one point and then re-enrolled uh, in 2016. And so it's um, it certainly disproportionately affects you know the elderly and um, and minorities and people who just don't like you might not vote just because you don't care to vote, right? Like you're like, well, um, which I would say is. I want everyone to vote every time. Well, so it 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 affects the elderly. It affects minorities. It also the other thing though that's not getting talked about as much. It affects people who might move a lot, right? So this is an issue that oh, we're dealing right. with in the that we're dealing with in the healthcare authority right now. And by we, I mean people who work in healthcare. So there is a proposal to use verification mm-hmm. of verification yeah. of current address as a way to determine whether people get to keep their sooner care right. insurance or not. And the reason that's a terrible idea is because people who qualify for sooner care for whatever reason, almost by definition are more likely to not have permanency of place, right? right, right. Like they're going to be people who probably move more often and so don't always have a current address on file. Mm-hmm. And so it disproportionately affects those people too, too. Using like using a current address to like verifying your address is a terrible way to verify your identity for a whole right. a whole host of reasons. Right. And so I I I will admit that I'm of two minds about this issue. I I can understand the need or the desire by the election board to have their roles be as accurate as possible, right? And as a data nerd out here, I would like it to be accurate as well. And and I will say it's not just that they, that we want them to be, it's a constitutional requirement actually. Hmm. Okay, well, good. Like I, like it is in there like to maintain accurate voter rolls is like right. a thing they are legally required to. Do. Maybe maybe it's in the statute, but it's like it's not optional. Like right. they have to do this in so some fashion. They have to figure out some way to do it. Um so that's so that's important and reasonable, right? And then but it you know, people will say this means you have to like use it or lose it, but if you don't vote and I I get that, but you've they've got to, to in order to make a rule to run things well, you have to make a rule and sometimes that rule is difficult, right? And and, and no one's gonna be totally happy with it, right? I'm sure that some people would like this to be much more lenient. Some folks like it to be much more stringent, and here's where it is. All this to say, if you go vote on a regular basis, you won't be removed. Case closed. Right. Right. Like, and I, and that's kind of what I come down to. Right. On the one hand, I, you know, like philosophically, like no, no one should ever be taken off the voter rolls. But there's a million reasons um, beyond just what's in the statute why it's practical to periodically purge like there's there's security arguments there are efficiency arguments like there are a ton of good reasons why maintaining accurate voter rolls is an important thing to do and while i may think that address verification is not a great way to do it i also off the top of my head don't have a better way um other than to say just like any said like if you show up and vote this doesn't affect you then they they know you exist and you are still a voter right show up up and vote and this doesn't affect you in any way and and in Oklahoma, golly, we have elections all the time. I mean, we had elections Tuesday, right? And so, in, yes, in, like once a month, literally. In every county, not every city, but in every county, there's at least some kind of election. And so, go to elections.ok.gov um, and check your enrollment. Do it that way. Make sure that you are signed up for notifications. Go to turbovote.org/slash Oklahoma. And, no, excuse me, ok.turbovote.org. And, uh, and sign up for reminders there and so that you don't ever miss it. Sign up for absentee ballots. That's another great thing. If you go to the election board website, elections.ok.gov, and sign up for absentee ballots, they will mail you your ballot, and you can vote by mail. Or you can go, I, I get them, and I put them on the fridge, and I review them, and then I go to the polls because I like voting in person. They say, oh, you got a ballot. I'm like, yeah, I didn't send it in. Give me a provisional. Let's, let's go. You just sign the deal and you go for it. Yeah. To quote, the, uh, to quote former President Barack Obama, don't boo. Vote. Right. Decisions are made by those who show up. That's right. All right. Um, Onward. 
onward. So uh, one one more news article, and this will be this will be brief. We'll just reference the bill here real quick. So this is a bill that is currently in the Senate. I believe it has to do with mental health transport. Um, so mental health transport. What is that? So. Um, it is a very, very common problem. It happens in rural Oklahoma, which is where the focus of this article from Nondoc is, but it also happens here in the metro. It happens um, to us like once a month. Yeah, yeah. It's a, and it's a Senate bill that's in the House. Um, so this, this essentially deals with folks who are placed under what's called an EOD, right? An EOD. Andy, what's that stand for? Emergency Order of Detention. That's right. So people, if you ever have heard kind of the, collo- the colloquial term, like committed, that's kind of what you could think. An EOD, like someone being committed to a mental hospital, right? Which so, is, yeah, not accurate, but right, yeah. Like basically, what an EOD is is if someone shows up to a, you know a hospital, an emergency room, a clinic, or whatever, and they are determined to be maybe a danger to themselves or to others, they are placed under an EOD for up to seventy-two hours, which basically means they can be held um, for treatment and evaluation for three days. Um, this has to be done by a qualified mental health professional. Um, as you may or may not be aware, there is a paucity of those here in Oklahoma, mm. which means that sometimes for these evaluations to take place, um, then they have to, the the patient, the person in question, has to be transported somewhere else. Usually, that transport happens. Uh, with law enforcement. So it's the local uh, sheriff's deputy or local police officer, sometimes for hundreds and hundreds of miles. And the reason is because there's no uh, mental health facility who has a bed space for this person. And so what will happen is they'll be coming to the emergency room. Maybe they're having a psychotic, maybe they're, they're having psychosis. So they're not in touch with reality. Maybe they're suicidal, maybe they're homicidal. And we say, okay, we need to do an EOD on this person. They need to be evaluated. Um, and the nearest place that can take them is four and a half hours away, right? Oof, yeah. Someone has someone has to take them and do that. Oh, and by the way, that four and a half hours that you're going in transit is four hours of the time you have to evaluate that person, right? right? Like you're like losing time. Sometimes patients are transported out of state, um, and so it's not only like is it just a pain and horribly inefficient in terms of a system, but it also means that that sheriff's deputy or that police officer, whoever this person is that person is tied up, right? Like if it's four and a half hours away, they got to drive there, they got to drive back. That's nine hours. That's a shift, right? Or almost a shift. Like you just lost a law enforcement officer for your county for like a day, which means you're either down a person or you got to call somebody in from home, right? So it wastes, there's a million different ways that this wastes resources. Right. Um, And and it's uh, something that Senate Bill 609 is trying to address. Um, It's a tough deal. We at... um you know, listeners know I work in healthcare also, um, and run a, a HIV clinic, and we have mental health therapists, we have social workers that work there, and it's not uncommon for us to um, have someone in our clinic or in one of their offices that needs more acute mental health treatment, and um, so we can call the local police, and sometimes they can come, but the the training of that officer is uncertain and and i've talked to them and they said they spend so much time with that because they have to come they got to talk to the person they got to get all the paperwork and then they have to drive the person there and then they can't just drop them off at the door right like they have to sit with them until they are seen or admitted to like have a full transition of care Um, and that means that as an officer or officers that are not out fighting crime right like which is what we think about police officers doing right and so there's really yeah, there's this huge need because we have like the you know 11th highest rate of mental illness in the country or something, and um, and we really need um, need more of it there. So. Well, the last thing that I'll say about this, and this is a little bit of the soapbox, but it, it, it's something that frustrates me is so this piece in Nondoc, and you know like like all of this, we'll throw it up on the we'll throw it up on the web. Um, is is that like everyone seems to agree that this is a problem? Like this is bad. We need to do something about this. Um, but they talk with uh, Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse Services uh, Commissioner Terry White. She's like, yeah, it's a problem. And she's like, but one of the problems is that the average investment per person per mental health across the country should be $120 per person. And in Oklahoma, it's 56 right? Like, it's less than half. Except that it was really more of this. It's, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, less than half. And that's, when you think about that, it's not that much money. Right. And it's just, it's so frustrating because... I mean, it's just, it's real. one of the things that I get, 
I get frustrated with the legislature. I get frustrated like in my professional life or personal life or whatever. When people are like, yo, yeah, man, we really got to do something about it. And like you can clearly identify Mm -hmm. like what one of the problems is. And like, well, one of the problems is funding. Well, we can't. I mean – Right. I mean, we need to fix it, but we can't do that, right? Because well, there's a, we don't have the money. I'm like, right. no, but you you could you could get the money. Well, no, I mean, we can't uh, we can't do that. I mean, we raised taxes last year, so we got to wait 25 more years before we do it again. Right. right. Like, which here's the deal with raising taxes, in my opinion. Nobody wants to pay any more taxes than they absolutely have to. No. Right. Like we're always trying to find a way to get around it. Even those of us who understand the validity and the the nature of them. However, I think the key is that we as Oklahomans, we pay taxes now and we don't feel like we get a good return on our investment, right? Like, am I crazy about that? No, I don't, I don't think that you are, but, but I think... Is that, is that because we don't really invest quite enough, right? Like, it's like, I don't... If you, if you spend... You can spend a lot of money on a crappy something right a crappy widget right, right. you could spend a little bit more and get the widget you really want right but we don't we we bargain basement and every time we try to we try to just spend just enough to the, the bare minimum and we get the bare minimum right. in, resp- in return but it's you know like if you got to spend a hundred dollars right to get I'm, I'm, well, I mean, I'm so, on a good example here. so i'd say it's like buying a car right like oh, if yeah. you're so, so if you're you can spend Right, like you, if you if you are like in desperate need of transportation and you your budget is a thousand dollars, right? Mm-hmm. You could probably go on Craigslist and buy a car for like you could probably find a car for a thousand dollars, and you're gonna get a thousand dollars worth of car, right? And you're probably gonna be unhappy with it. It's probably not gonna be very reliable. Mm-hmm. It's not gonna work very often. It's gonna have all kinds of problems, and you're gonna say, "I can't believe I paid a thousand dollars for this car. It's not worth anything," mm-hmm. right? Now, by the same token. You can absolutely pay a hundred thousand dollars for a car that is going to have a ton of problems, right? Like there are cars out there, and way more that, stuff than you need. Yeah, right. I mean, like there, there are there are expensive, you know, kind of quote unquote luxury car brands that are uh, they are cost obscene amounts of money, and they are notorious for not being very reliable. The maintenance is too frequent. It's incredibly expensive when you have to do it. And so, to me, that's like saying. That's to me. That's kind of the that's the that's kind of the argument that I hear about government is like, you know, when we say, well, you know, we're unhappy with our government because we're only paying for a thousand dollars worth of car. People say, well, I mean, it doesn't matter how much you pay because you go spend a hundred thousand dollars on the car and it still sucks, right? Except that I would say there's very clear data that there's a middle ground that you can spend ten thousand dollars on a car and get a great, reliable vehicle that will serve you really, really well. Like spending more money on government doesn't necessitate that that money will be wasted and 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 not used in a way that delivers good reliable services. Right. Like you can you can do good government, but it does take some investment. And it's proportionally it's probably more like you could spend 10,000 for a reliable car or you could spend 12,000 for the reliable car that has all the features you want. So it's sure. a, it's a little bit more money, yes, right. yeah. but it gets you exactly. And so that's the difference is that if I'm spending, I mean, and I'm not a wealthy man, but if I spent $10,000, like that's a ton of money to me. And if I spent $10,000 is a ton of money, full stop. <laughs> not, not to you. Just $10,000 is a lot of money. Right. Stop. Yeah. So if you're going to spend 10,000, sometimes you're like, well, what if I just find a way to spend 12,000, right? To spend right. a little bit more to, right. Because, because I'm going to spend 10,000 and be disappointed or I'm going to spend twelve thousand and be satisfied, and that's the difference. Is that we are spending fifty six dollars per person when we need to spend one hundred and twenty. Well, the the difference is sixty bucks. Like it's not right. that big of a deal, right? Well, and the other thing I would say too, and this is, and I'm saying this because she's not here today. But if Commissioner White was here, I feel confident that she would say this because well, I've heard her say it many times, mm-hmm. and she says it in the article too. For our fifty six dollars we actually have remarkably good outcomes. Yeah. Like Oklahoma's mental health outcomes are not terrible. Right. It's problems of access. And the problem of access is what's a result of the lack of funding. Right. Right. She has said many times, she's like, we're kind of middle of the road, like like about 20, we're like 25, 
yeah. 28 in the country or something in terms of our outcomes, which is like not top 10, but it's also not 49 like we are in so many other things. Right. She's like, you give us the resources where we can really get access for every Oklahoma. We could access. be a top 10 state. Well, she is. She's like, we like right now in terms of funding, one in three Oklahomans has access to the mental health services that they need. Mm-hmm. With funding, if that's three in three Oklahomans, our outcomes go from, she's like, our outcomes will go from 28 to top five. Right. Like guaranteed. And, and it's, and it's certainly not just a matter of throwing money at the problem. It's a matter of having the resources available so they can enact the plans right. that they already have out there, right? Right. Same totally. thing. I mean, we're trying to uh, end the HIV epidemic. You know, we talked about this a while back that the commissioner of the, or the director of the CDC came. We talked about this, that we're really close. Like, there's no cure. There's no vaccine, that kind of stuff. But we have the tools in our tool bag. In 1963, John F. Kennedy said... We're going to the moon by the end of the decade. They didn't have the science then, but in 69, they did it, right? So it was a huge leap of faith to say, by the end of this decade, we will go to the moon. And we did it. With HIV, with mental illness, we have the science. Like We know what tools are required. We just got to have the money to buy them and to put them into place. Totally, totally. All right. All right, one last thing, and this one we're just going to kind of give a cursory mention and we'll talk about it more later. Yeah. Cause this is something that is, it's not going away. It's a huge article. We could honestly, we could, and maybe we should do a whole episode just on this. Um, so this is a piece that you may have, if you're on social media at all, you've probably seen it. This I is called it twice uh, today. This is a piece from USA today. This is called you elected them to write new laws. They're letting corporations do it instead. So this is a piece that deals with so-called model legislation. So this is like a bill that is written by, a special interest group, maybe it's a nonprofit, maybe it's a business, maybe it's a trade group, maybe it's a lobbying group, and it is it is written to address a specific issue, and it might even be an issue that most of the general public doesn't even care about, but they take it, they write the bill, they try to get it passed in one state legislature at a time, and when they get it passed in one, they go on to the next one, and then they go to the next one, and pretty soon, you basically see identical bills passed in maybe not all 50 states, but maybe maybe 35 of 50 or 42 of 50. Um, it's a way to try and uh, try and change policy in a uniform way at the state level when it can't be done uh, for a host of reasons at the federal level. Um, the reason that this matters is because oftentimes these bills are being run by people, being sponsored by legislators who may not even know the full like may not even know the full repercussions. They don't really know much about the issue, but they have an outside group who maybe donated to their campaign and then says, Hey, I donated your campaign. Do me a solid and run this bill. And so they do. And this is incredibly common. You may or may not be surprised if this is this USA today article did the first ever study of model bills and how, uh, how common they are. And the results are astonishing. There are tens of thousands of them. They also were able to look to see how frequently States actually pass legislation that's devised in this manner. Um, you may or may not be surprised to know that Oklahoma was what number two or three in terms of how commonly we pass, uh, how commonly we pass mm-hmm. these model bills that are written by people, you know, out of state interests. Um, so it's something I think we're going to, we're going to for sure come back to. It may be something to address after session because it's more of a, it's more of a kind of philosophical, how do we feel about legislation being drafted this way um, as opposed to a specific bill. But it is, it is a, it's a long read, but it's super interesting. There are some great graphics. It is absolutely worth your time. Please go to USA, USA Today and, and check it out. Or just go to letsfixthisok.org slash blog and look for the blog that corresponds with this episode. It'll be there. We'll have the link right there for you, as well as a video of this episode if you want to watch us in Technicolor. So, how are we? Uh, how are we doing on our? Where are we at? Time. I think it's, I think we're, it's time to wrap up. Time about it. So, we have a lot of. We, there's one issue we did not touch on today. Yes. Um, and there's a specific reason. So. Oh yes. We uh you you may be sitting here going how have they talked about like everything other than what was clearly the major story in the news this week. Uh, which was the opioid settlement. This was announced last week. There have been some further really interesting developments in the opioid lawsuit this week. Um, The reason we have not talked about it at all is because next week we are going to have a whole episode devoted to talking about the opioid uh, settlement with special guest attorney general, Mike Hunter. Yes. Uh, We are sitting down with the, uh, the AG next Wednesday and going to have a conversation talking specifically about this and going to, going to ask him some questions and he's going to, 
answer them for us, and we're we're gonna kind of see and, what's up. And I will I will reiterate that we are not reporters. <laughs> um, yes, that is this is important. We're not doing this as journalists. We're doing this really as concerned citizens, and so our questions are more about like help us understand this. Like, why right. should the public care, and what does this mean for the public? And right. and, and I, mean, I and this is probably the therapist in me, but like, I want to try to find out his thought process to the extent that he right. he's willing to speak totally. um, about how this whole thing got done and totally. set up. And totally. I understand he can't, he likely cannot speak totally freely because there are still pending lo- lawsuits pending, pending litigation. <laughs> yes, um, but uh, I am appreciative in advance of. A.G. Yes. Hunter's um, taking time. He's to been his office has been very uh, supportive and flexible, trying to, to find a time where we can all sit down together. So we're excited about that. We will also have uh, next week a couple special guests on. We'll uh, we'll announce those at a later date. But uh, going to do a little bit more in depth legislative recap of where bills stand and what we can expect from the legislature moving forward. Yeah, sounds good. Well, that brings us to the end of this uh, episode. Um, as a reminder, April 23rd, it's a Tuesday, is our next Capitol Day. We'll be in room 412A, where it all began, upstairs in 412A. Uh, and then, as we said at the top of the show, April 4th, no, excuse me, May 4th is our adult prom fundraiser, A Night to Remember. So grab some, whatever kind of clothes you want to wear, preferably something fancy, maybe a little something old school. Um, get your tickets at let's fix this okay slash prom excuse me let's fix this okay.org slash prom uh, or just really go to our website and there'll be a pop-up that will direct you to where you need to go uh, let's pod this is a um, member of the mostly harmless media conglomerate based right here in oklahoma city please uh, tell your friends about us we have several hundred listeners every week um, and we would love to have more because uh, we believe that more listeners means more engaged voters, more informed voters, um, and that leads to better policy. Right, Scott? That is 100% correct. All right, so rate us, give us a review, and then just invite your friends. Go ahead and text them the link right now. You can share this episode and say, hey, these guys are cool. You should listen to them. Um, the show is produced by Scott and me right here on our own, and uh, we are a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization trying to make a better Oklahoma for everybody. You guys have a good week. We'll talk to you here in a few days.